Hello everyone in the big wide world. It's a fantastic Wednesday. At least I think it's a Wednesday. And I'm joined here by past colleague and mutual friend right now, Stephen Glantz. So Stephen Glantz is a director at McDonald and Company and we used to work together for three, three and a half years. So we've been through it all, we've seen everything. And from that, me and Steve, we're the two Stevens, we, we were the two Amigos, two compadres, still Amigos. And for anyone that hasn't met you, Stephen, you are the director of the architecture team currently at McDonald & Company. Stephen Glanz, how are you today? I'm good, Steve. I'm good, thank you. That's a very nice introduction. How are you? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How's well, the you're very, going? Very good. Very different. So I'm on the other end of it now, Steve. So all the CVs including, and we've, we've had it this week in terms of interviews and booking. I'm on the receiving end. I'm on the different end. So I'm I'm the, trying to organize the inbox and getting it all from the other side. And I'm learning fast, you know, I'm learning fast. And, and what's interesting, I'm now in the office where all the drawings are and everyone's back on on the, you know, well, in in in, in Accra, Larry, everyone's on Archicad. So it's not Revit, it's Archicad. But for anyone that's listening, so I've moved to a, a practice called Accra, Larry. Well, I worked in recruitment for many years with Stephen Glanz, and that's how we met. So four years ago, I joined uh, McDonald & Company in London. And so for anyone that doesn't know McDonald & Company, it's a multidisciplinary real estate um, recruitment consultancy, and Stephen was um, has run the team for many years. So Stephen, we worked together as well, and we, I think we were thick as thieves. We were always getting along. We were always doing the job, and hope, I think with that we we left a lot of positive uh, effect in the architecture market. But for anyone that hasn't met you, right? Tell us a little bit about what you do currently. Uh, cool, thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, I guess it's going back to you saying I, I'm running it. I'm, I'm basically a bloke who's been doing this for quite a long time. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> running it might be an overstatement. I think I probably have to run it at, at times, but uh, you were my boss and you're a very good boss. And oh. I thoroughly enjoyed, thoroughly enjoyed working with you. And it wow. was, uh, I think we, we complement each other really well in terms of our, our strengths and just personality. So it was always, always good fun. Yeah, well, it was. And the, the point of this, though, is because you've been you've seen the architecture recruitment for 20 years. And I think that and for anyone that hasn't met you yet after this, hopefully they can add you get to know you. But you've seen it all, Steve. Right. So you've seen you've seen it through the global pandemic and which we've just gone now with me. And you've seen the economic crash as well. But to wind the clock, because there, there was one point where you probably by accident got into architectural recruitment. And I'd love to hear the journey over the years. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that initial role and how you got into becoming an architectural recruitment specialist? Yeah, that was an accident. Um, so I, I went to university in Salford. And I studied geography, of all things, Steve. And the reason I studied <laughs> geography was quite simple. I wanted to go to university. <laughs> I quite enjoyed geography. Yeah. And because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I thought, oh, great. I'll do a bit of physical geography because that's really interesting. You know, volcanoes, mm. earthquakes, that kind of thing. And then you've got the, the socioeconomic side of things. I find people really interesting. And I thought, you know, a bit of economics, that would be useful. So it was a real generalist topic. Um, 
And truthfully, I probably should have just gone straight to work, Steve, rather than going to play at university. But I, I came out and ended up with a horrible job in this uh, in this subprime bank, dealing with oh, loans and insurance. And it was it was no offence to people that may still work there, but it was horrible. Um, <laughs> and I wanted to get out, and a friend of mine works in recruitment. Said, "Why don't you do recruitment? Like you." You like people, you understand people. Uh, there's a decent career there. Why don't you try it? Um, and you could actually use your business development skills because, as you know, Steve, in recruitment, most recruitment jobs, you've got to go out there and generate the clients and generate the vacancies to then mm. uh, find people for. So, yeah, I has been using a, a, my brother's mate had worked for a recruitment company, set me up with a meeting with them, and I got a job with them. And they just so happened to have a space on the architecture desk, which was really busy. This is in 2000. Wow, okay. It was a very, very busy market in 2000. Um, and I started out doing temp, and it was really fast and furious, perhaps less refined. Well, actually, a lot less refined than the work I do nowadays. But it yeah. was fun, and it grew. Worked a bit of town planning, grew the team again. It got bigger and bigger until there was a team of about 15 people that I was responsible for. And we had loads of fun. And then I went traveling for you with my now wife. And when I came back from traveling, I wanted to do slightly more refined and senior end recruitment and sort of sent myself out, Stephen, to, to companies, including McDonald and Company, and uh, joined. And the rest is history. I'm still here. The rest is history. That's amazing. Years, I think, Steve, roughly, almost. It's amazing, Steve. It's amazing. And what I love about this, and this is why I was keen to do this episode, because obviously I've, I admire what you've done. And what's interesting is, especially at what you talk about, now you're at the senior end, there's a lot of work that goes into these roles and you really have to understand the architecture. You really have to understand the trends. And what's interesting, though, talking about what you said there is that when you started, it was quite the opposite. So you mentioned in 2000, you were architectural contractors. And so for anyone that's listening, they're not familiar with that term. You're on about like freelance, temporary people who come into a practice. And so it was it was different back then. So what was it like, Steve? Was it like someone could rock up without an interview and just plunge straight into a job? Is it very different to now? You know, I don't really do much freelance now. We do, we do a little <laughs> bit of it. But um, <clears throat> I can always wrote. Put it this way, the technology was different. Back then, we were still occasionally sending CVs by post to our employers. Gosh. To the we had fax machines for normal CV sending, which was a bit hit and miss. Um, <laughs> we didn't have access to the internet, Steve. Yeah. We, we had to find out about our clients through word of mouth, through knowing the industry, through looking at industry events, through even looking up directories. You know, you, you did not have the connectivity that you have nowadays. Um, so that that was interesting. Um, it was super fast, Steve. I mean, pe people hire temporary uh, staff when they're up against it. So, mm. you know, when's the start date? Well, yesterday, please. Um, and it was fiercely competitive as well. So we had to move quick. In, in general, it was AutoCAD was the main program in, that, in those days, and then MicroStation. And it was all about... You know how fast it was, and it was usually stage four work. So there's a lot of, you know, can you show us some technical details? But it had to be quick. So it's not, 
it's not like taking a very, very thorough brief for a strategic hire that is going to impact on a business for many years to come and impact on many staff. And it's, it's very different. It's, it is fast and furious, basically. Well, it's very interesting. And it's hard for me to imagine like that time before the internet, because there's so much that what all the conversations that we do and, and what we do when we were in work, it's all through the uh, emails, isn't it? We always try to go and meet an architectural practice in person and try to meet someone who's looking for a job in person. CVs though, and, and, and portfolios are sent through email. It's very important that it works. So this kind of world that you're on about of delivering CVs, would you know, do you go to, you send them by fax or you go into the office and as you say, if people are looking, it's it's just a whole yeah, different world. Yeah, print everything out, take it with you. And um, <laughs> the architects, to, you know, they'd be sometimes cycling around town with like an A1 and A0 folder getting blown around. So, I mean, this thing's acting like a sail as they're trying to navigate the streets of London, going to their interview. And that's the other thing. It's not like they could just take a memory stick in, to work with them in their pocket and then use that, plug it into a screen at an interview. They had to sort of duck around hiding their portfolios at different places, maybe at our office, or you know, they had to sneak it back, uh, sneak back home. Um, it was a mm. lot more difficult to attend an interview back then, certainly covertly, anyway. Well, that's yeah, that's interesting because when I was a student, I did have that big like A1 portfolio, and you're right, that thing. That was a monster. It's not subtle either, is it? So yeah. people are going to know that you're in the arts industry. Yeah, you can't really smuggle that in and out of the office. <laughs> yeah. But what's interesting, so while that's different, there's a lot of things which are the same, I imagine, as well. And one of the things that I was quite keen and always I admired, and because you taught me a lot as well, Steve, and, and what's been interesting is that I think you can identify when someone's... Uh, a genuine there's a lot of genuine people out there but genuine's one of them transparent thoughtful and when someone's really good and talented and you see something there i think that's a good skill set you have and i think the other thing is that what i've seen you do as well in your job which is amazing is you spend the time to go through with people and you structure and they maybe in their cv and portfolio things that they're not communicating but you see in them so that then the client gets that you know that impression is made mm. so how has that come over the years is it something that you've grown is it a combination of seeing lots of people i mean what's your thoughts on uh so let's phrase it this way what have you successful people who have gone on to do really well in architecture is there anything common between them steve or is there things that stand out to you by driven successful or talented people in architecture that's, that's interesting um i'll try and answer all those questions i'll answer the last one first so if yeah. i forget about the first questions you're gonna to have to remind me of the <laughs> but, um, so um for me to really make it somewhere in the architecture world if we're talking about architecture practice here specifically mm. uh yes you need to be a very good designer you don't have to be the best designer but you have got to be good you have got to have people skills um, yeah. because you'll be leading things operationally. You'll be building relationships with clients. You've got to be business savvy. And frankly speaking, you've got to be able to sell. Um, mm. You know, architects talk about the narrative of their, mm. their work as, as do interior designs. Um, 
and urban designers, and I'm going to miss anyone here, landscape designers. Um, so they have to be in a cell because when you get to a certain level in practice, they're looking at the, you know, your cost versus what you bring in. And roughly speaking, 70K and above, you're kind of expected to earn your keep by bringing, bringing money in. Um, so successful people, um, they have all the qualities you would normally associate, you know, drive, et cetera, but it's being able to engage with people and understand the, the sharp end of the business whilst also being a good designer and not, not forgetting your roots. If you're all commercial or no design, yeah, you're less, you're less likely to make it. There are certain firms you could make it, but, you know, you're not going to be perceived to be at the top of the industry as it were um mm. going back to your other questions you said how did i learn how to identify yeah I, i'm sure that meeting people in person helps but what i was quite curious because those are the skills that you talked about then and sometimes those don't come across really mm. easily on the cv and portfolio so maybe Let's rephrase it. So you mentioned that you need to sell yourself. You need to have those transferable skills. You need to, ideally, you talked a bit about not being just front-end design. It's really good to illustrate all the responsibilities you've done on site. But let's phrase it this way. What are the mistakes you've seen, uh, Steve, that people do? I know one of them is spelling. Apart from spelling, what are the things that people could do and you're right by the way that's an in, in joke between us because Stephen is um a, a much how do i say i'm a little bit more liberal with the spelling um which i probably shouldn't be but you you to the point and it's an important document so i understand what you're saying so apart from spelling steve what could people avoid doing what could people avoid doing um <clears throat> the days of employment are just got to be right and accurate because mm -hmm. otherwise it looks like you're hiding something. Um, yeah, spelling and punctuation. Do you know, it's, it's such, and, and grammar, it's such an international discipline. You, you do have to give some leniency because a lot of people writing CVs for this market, the UK market, English isn't their first language. So you can't, you know, you, you can't be unnecessarily uh, strict about it, but you can offer people a helping hand because they're going to yeah. want to know. You know. If I was trying to write another language and somebody who spoke that language is their first language said to me, "Hey, Steve, you've kind of got that wrong. It needs to be written like this." I'd be so appreciative because I've, you know, I can use that for the future. Yeah. And um, so, I think they, you get to a certain level. The, the, it, it just needs to be right because otherwise, the message takeaway from the the reader is. Careless, slapdash, um, do they care about this job? Do they care about this application? Are they going to send correct instructions out to consultant groups or is it going to be inaccurate? Mm. Are they going to miss details that are going to cost us hundreds of thousands of pounds if the project goes wrong? So it, it's not so much about the mistake. It's what the reader reads into um, from that mistake that was made by the person writing the CV. So, yeah, you you got to be on point with it and you only get one chance. Once that CV has been seen, you can't like unsee it. So yeah. uh, I, I am a great believer in getting it right, I suppose. And and I, I don't mind admitting spelling and grammar are not my strong point, Steve. I really, really have to like pay attention to it. Mm. 
Um, yeah. Being brutally honest, I'm not the one applying for the job. It will not make as much difference to my life as it will to the person applying for the job and indeed the client who's hiring the, the person. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you should should pay attention to it. I think that makes a lot of sense. And so what's interesting is as well, so we were working together and recruiting during the pandemic, which is a totally different scenario. But what's interesting, especially about um, job seeking and recruitment in general, Steve, is that I'm always amazed how it changes. And so there's a there's an industry term, and I'll, we will decrypt the jargon together for anyone listening, of a candidate and a client market. And so what's really interesting about architecture, and I'm sure you've seen this through the global recession and everything as well, is that due to the economic status of the industry and so forth, things change. And so during the pandemic, it was incredibly difficult, but you you did really amazing. You worked with a lot of companies and you saw a lot of change in the industry. So at the time last year, Steve, remember it was there was the boom in modular and you fast became the modular expert. I mean, what's kind of your thoughts? So question about now, where do you see the industry right now based in this month booming? Is there certain uh, sectors that are interesting? Or what, what, what are you interested in right now, Steve, architecturally? Wow, okay. Well, let me just start with the pandemic. Um, well, like economic cycles in general, it's, it's often quite hard to see them coming. I mean, the, <laughs> 2000 and the 2008 one was kind of like overdue, but everybody still remained optimistic and didn't think it would be that bad. Hmm. And whilst it wasn't as big a contraction as the most recent recession, it did last longer, and that made it really hard. In any of these um, con- market contractions, People that are responsible for winning business, whether they be in practice or if they're investors or people like us that have to, to, to get people jobs to earn a living, you have to read the market and the drivers and work out what's going to be live, basically, and yeah. what's not. Um, so March last year, as a, as a company, we were sharing our intelligence from around the world, from the east, which is where it all started, and we learned from their experience of, you know, what remained active, what increased and what decreased. We took that. We then transferred that into our own markets and looked at it. And as you know, we were talking about all sorts of stuff, weren't we? We were talking about um, industrial logistics. We were talking about the demise of, of retail. We were talking about the fact that actually affordable housing held up really well, and the local authorities were supporting that. Um, we weren't sure about luxury resi because it turns out that market was fairly resilient. And then we realized that the mid-end resi was uh, fairly resilient too because people were going to end up working from home, um, mm. like permanently. Um, the modular industry is, is something I happened upon. I'd been doing a bit on it, um, but it was actually fairly um pandemic proof for want of better words in the sense that it's a highly robotic process in a massive warehouse Mm. um, that doesn't require many people to be around each other Um, so you can keep going really without much COVID risk and then you don't need as many people on site and depending on who you talk to actually it's interesting I had a conversation on the week where they disagree with us but most people are saying it's quite a sustainable form Really, construction too. So he was taking loads of boxes. So I followed that, Stephen. Um, and sure enough, the councils and 
uh, other public bodies are starting to make it a condition of their um, of people's business to say that we want some of these solutions to be modular, whether it be for schools or houses or hospitals. So there was that. And you, you've got to follow trends. Healthcare was an obvious one. It took a while to catch up, to be honest with you, because it was all hands on deck for the Nightingale hospitals. But the healthcare industry and laboratories, it's an obvious one. So you, you, you've got to just look at the trends, the underlying trends, and you've got to play to them. Otherwise, you basically, you don't survive with your recruitment consultant or an architecture practice or an investor, you know? Yeah, it's really interesting. And so what I what I enjoy about us working together, while I worked in an architectural practice, I know you study geography, but I think the real quality of what you offer and what I learned from it is it's about knowing your craft. And so the conversation we were we were even having there, you knew more about modular than I did, Steve. You know, I'm catching up and we'll have a conversation. And that's I'm really not an important. Expert, I did did hear you call me the modular expert. I can't claim to be that. <laughs> that's just my that's just my anecdotal opinion. At the time you were much Stephen, and that's the important thing. I'm a people broker. I just need to know where these people are. I think you're that's unfair. Uh, unfair to say of yourself. It's really important though, what I've learned in terms of uh, recruitment, and this is a word out there for anyone else is that i do think it helps in recruitment if you've come from industry but though at the same time i think like yourself if someone is so knowledgeable about everything going on it offers real value and making the time to meet people and offer them stuff that is insightful i mean that's one of the inspirations for the architecture social and i think there's a lot of value in as you do helping people out in their careers and sometimes as we know you might meet someone you help them out a bit or you give advice and they find their own way in life and what's interesting is organically and i think there's that what goes around comes around and i think by helping people out and positivity I think it really helps the other thing that i learned from you and i try to cooperate all the time is I thought it was refreshingly, uh, I think that you're refreshingly direct and honest. So before, I think that some people can almost sugarcoat things to the detriment. So let me phrase this correct carefully. You are polite, but you will tell people the truth, <laughs> which I think is a great quality in a field where not everyone in recruitment is straightforward, Steve. So... Yeah. That. Yeah. No, I have an honesty policy uh, in home life as well as professional life. Oh, uh, that gets you know. into trouble, doesn't it? No. <laughs> Good. Good. Living an honest life is actually, it keeps things really simple. I think you just got to not be afraid of reactions because, frankly speaking, bending the truth or lying is, is worse than, yeah. than just being honest about it, even if it's a difficult subject matter. Um, so whilst conversation can be uncomfortable, it's not half as uncomfortable as if someone's, you know, stuck in a web of lies, wanting how to get out of it, or some person's found out they've been lied to, or it's when it comes to basic things like interview feedback, you, you got you've got to be honest. And okay, you don't want to be rude and brutal, but you do have to be clear with interview feedback. Yeah. Because otherwise, what use is it? You know, it's yeah. People appreciate. I think. I hope people appreciate. Um, clear and honest communication rather than wishy-washy, not very accurate and therefore not very helpful. 
Yeah, or not even getting back to people. I think that's um, because that is what can happen in recruitment. It can go either way. It's the quality of the people. And as you said, you use the term people brokering, but I think of it more. It's all it's all relationships, isn't it? And basically, the more I Mm. think the more transparent, then the more helpful you are likely to be. And that's why I say to everyone, it's a bit like when you're looking at a house or you're picking um, anyone to do work in it, or like even if you're picking an architect in this scenario, when you're speaking to a recruiter, I really think you should do your background on a recruiter and and see what they're like as well, because we're all going to be different people. And unfortunately, Mm. not everyone is as ethical. And I do think though, having worked with you, I, I would prefer to get the humble truth than um, it being sugarcoated because I think that's what leads to sometimes disappointment Steve with recruiters of they'll meet a candidate and some sometimes it um you get overexcited and promise the world and then unfortunately if there's nothing to follow up from that then it can be anticlimactic and or as you say if there's an interview and then no feedback no contact that's not the way to go so I much rather your approach of keeping the candidate the job seeker in the loop if you've got some feedback it's constructive it's about changing it it's about moving on to find the next thing so for that you get a clap well done oh, well thanks, done for saying Stephen. the truth thank you very much <laughs> the virtual clap the yeah You're... go on steve go on i cut you off sorry there. no I, I thought you'd ask me another question no, that's so. I think that's really important. So we, I know, because I, I sneaky did this as a seg, segue, and I know that you've got a call coming up as well. And that see, see, that's a, that's what you're doing. You're still working now, Steve. You're still working hard. You need to give yourself a break. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not your line manager anymore, so I don't know. I don't, you can't. I, can't, I, just, I, I need, can't. To, need to create more time. Yeah. Well, what I'd love so this so anyone can contact you about. They career, they know it. They can find you on LinkedIn, Stephen Clans. Okay, check out Stephen Clans. I'll put a link here on the podcast as well. What I would love, and this is an open conversation and food for thought. So, where, where it's an interesting year. We've just had the pandemic, haven't we? It's, it was a, it was a nightmare for everyone. It was a nightmare for candidates. It was difficult for us. I was put on furlough, and you were fighting, clinging on to everything, getting and, and doing everything you can. Now it's different, though, isn't it? It's busy steve it's busy it, it is sorry that was a question you asked earlier in this conversation wasn't it um, yeah. I never quite got to it. um yeah it's um i've never seen a market turn on its head so quickly um yeah. it may have felt like a long time particularly for people that were on furlough and i, I can appreciate that um and people like me who are homeschooling and trying to work part-time get things done as well we all had our own, own challenges but yeah about I don't know, three months ago-ish, um, the architecture market suddenly just reversed. It went from Rocketing. being an entirely job-led market, as a phrase you used earlier on, meaning that I guess the clients are the bargaining chips, the hiring clients, um, to now it is a lot more even, and I would go so far as to say a candidate-led market, meaning that people looking for jobs may end up with more than one offer. now. The caveat with that statement is that obviously this has to be within active sectors, whether that be, you know, your housing, your senior living, your healthcare, your laboratories, etc. Um, so you'd have to be in one of those sectors to be in that position. But it's um, most most clients are hiring now, 
Um, and it didn't just tiptoe back. It suddenly rocketed back, mm. which is impressive. Yeah, it's boomed. It's boomed. So it will be interesting now. I think modular is going to keep increasing. I mean, I can even see that in Accra Larry, there's so many projects right now. Residential is busy. Commercial is actually getting busy again. There's commercial offices. People are thinking about it in a different <laughs> capacity. Commercial offices. What, what's an office? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I haven't yeah. So, seen one for like a year. For context. So so <laughs> while me and Steve can see each other now, Stephen, we, you did used to come into the London office, but you were an early adopter pre-pandemic of the home office. And Stephen is currently now in his fantastic second office at the foot of the garden. And I'm jealous. You know why? Because... I can see it. It's nice. You've got the trees and everything. <laughs> and actually, oh, it's probably worth mentioning that you have an architect doing your house currently who you met as, uh, uh, you know, when you were consulting them on jobs and set up his own practice. And so it's all gone. It's all gone full circle. It's good that you I have did. architects in your house, though, Steve. And I, and I liked his work and I liked his personality. Yeah. Uh, and um, yeah, he's been great. Yeah. Came up today, as a matter of fact. Amazing. I love that. On my lunch break, of course, that was. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, we are in bricks and dust everywhere and ceilings being torn down. So it's quite exciting. Well, there you go. On the front line. Now you know your subject and you, you've effectively been the client in this relationship. But Steve, <laughs> this has been amazing. We've got five minutes, haven't we? Because you've got to do that call. So for anyone that wants to get in touch with you, I mentioned you're on LinkedIn as well. Let's just rejog everyone's memory. So my impression of why you would go to you, Steve, I think anyone that's in a strategic point in their career, a jolt in the road, in terms of recruitment, consultancy, I think you are the man to speak to so i want to definitely plug that in as if imagine if i could do a badge maybe i'll have like like a certification on the social certified and uh, nice person so you get the nice person award and um good recruiter ethics there you go so there you go oh, for the good recruiter you. ethics award you get that like so, doggy this yeah yeah well it's true and i think that's really important so i love it as well and Great. So now we will continue working together in some shape and form as always. And we we are due for a pub lunch when it's safe in London, which is going to be very long. Yes. Uh, oh yeah, and and Steve got me some fantastic crystal glasses, which I will be which I will you be like using that. on Friday. I mean, that's the yeah. that's the political answer. I got Friday. you a mature present, Stephen. They will last for life, so you have to remember me forever. They're very heavy crystal glasses. I enjoy them. They're so. good quality. Yeah, they're, they're hand cut crystal for your. Uh, well, it was meant to be for your gin, but you can use them for whiskey if you want. We'll do it for about well gin. Uh, I will. I'll definitely have a gin uh, in your crystal glass. So Stephen, it's amazing. You can find Stephen Glantz on LinkedIn. You can find Stephen at McDonald and Company and check out and say hello. And if you want to learn a little bit more about what is happening as well. He does have the uh, Good Person Award and the Ethical Recruiter Award. I've just <laughs> done that now. Uh, and so if if I would give you the trophy, if you're here, Steve, find Thanks, him Steve. online. Thank you, Steve. Any final thoughts before you go to round off the show? 
No, I, I will be looking forward to taking you out with some client entertainment when the uh, the opportunity arises, Stephen, all in the name of business, of course. But no, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks for being so kind. Yeah, sounds good. I love it. And I will I will look I will look forward to that. It feels like a distance for it feels like it'll never happen, but I hopefully the lockdown now it's Sometime. gone. It's it's fun time, but responsible fun time, you know. Two well, meters. All fellas like me are five weeks uh, past the first uh, injection, so I should should all be uh, I should be bulletproof by the time it gets to proper summit. So yeah, we'll be all right then. Amazing! I can use you as a shield while we're in the pub. Fantastic! <laughs> Thank right. you, Stephen. Absolute Cheers. pleasure. And people can find you on LinkedIn. Thank you, Stephen Glanz. Have a fantastic evening. Take Cheers. care.